because it was in the news about, you know, potential conflict with certain representatives from Papua. Well, we, we worked with officials for more than eight months. Uh, of course, there were people that were out of the loop, that were not aware of these relationships, but the relationship with the University of Technology in Papua New Guinea was established a few months ago. This has been ongoing for eight months and we have been in contact with authorities and they knew about this expedition. It's just that some other people were not aware of, of these contacts. Yeah, it could be connected if indeed the government has data or information or materials that as uh, David Grosh was uh, reporting about uh, then of course we would like to know about them I haven't seen those materials David Grosh did not see them he just heard people talk about them and saw documents that uh, discussed them and actually as of last night there was uh, a report about uh, Chuck Schumer coming up with uh, uh, a legislation that uh, would um, establish uh, a group of people that would ask government to reveal the information it has on UAP or UFOs. Uh, you can check it out uh, in the news. It just came out last night. Okay, let's go. We've teamed up with Audible to bring you a very special deal. You can pre-order Interstellar by Avi Loeb for free. Just visit audibletrial.com backslash UFO. You can also get any book you like on Audible for free. Just visit audibletrial.com backslash UFO. Previously on All Things Unexplained. Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? We have Dr. Avi Loeb back on our show. Yeah, there was even one that uh, looked uh, like half a sphere that was damaged, and I called it uh, an alien emoji. Here it is. Hey, Unexplained Ones, this is Dr. Mounts, and thanks for tuning in to All Things Unexplained. We talk about everything from Bigfoot to UFOs to astrophysics and everything in between. So if that sort of thing is for you, give us a follow wherever you're listening or watching right now. It takes a lot to make a podcast happen, and you can help us out by visiting linktree.com slash ATU podcast. That's linktree.com slash ATU podcast. There you can find official All Things Unexplained swag and even book us on Cameo. Thanks for tuning in to All Things Unexplained. All Things Unexplained. Hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Right, and I believe we're looking at a picture now of Dr. Loeb on deck with the sled that you use to collect evidence from the right. floor. So let me let me explain what we are looking at. So what you see um, is the front of the sled. So there are these wheels that are 
supposed to slide over the ocean floor as it moves forward, as, as it's dragged by a cable connected to uh, the, the ship. You can see the cable actually on the left side going up. Uh, that's supposed mm. to drag it. That's after the sled finished its uh, run. So we are now trying to collect all the materials from the magnets. These are neodymium magnets. They are sort of circular and attached with screws to the black rubber that you can see there. And uh, what you are seeing uh, is a person using uh, a water hose and uh, a, a vacuum cleaner. A shop vac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we found that to be a very effective way of collecting everything. Um, so we basically use the water to clear the uh, magnets and then the vacuum cleaner was sucking everything, including the water, but uh, all the volcanic ash and all the spherules as well embedded with it into the vacuum clear, uh, cleaner bucket. And then, uh, then we took it from there and uh, elimin uh, removed the water um, uh, eventually dried up the sample and then used the mesh to filter out the black ash. The, the volcanic uh, particles are extremely small, less than a tenth of a millimeter. And then look at the rest through a microscope. And every now and then we would notice something like this. Um, so here you see actually a merger of two spheres and you can see that they solidified before they had a chance to become circular again. So that shows that mergers do take place. Um, and then, you know, there are basically different types of uh, iron droplets <laughs> and uh, uh, we are, most of them were found along the meteor path and we narrowed down the likely path of the meteor using data from a seismometer in Manus Island of Papua New Guinea. There was, uh, there is a Navy base and the, there is a seismometer there and it recorded the blast wave, the, the sound wave from the explosion. Mm -hmm. And since the sound speed is much uh, sm uh, smaller than the speed of light, we can uh, infer the time delay, the time that it took the sound to reach the seismometer from uh, the explosion and from that uh, figure out the distance, knowing the speed of sound. Uh, and um, that allowed us to narrow down the path of the meteor, know where it was, and we found most of the spherules there. And this is a chart that is actually also behind me right now, um yeah you can um yeah so it's behind me and you can see it uh, just to my right side um your left um and it basically counts uh, spherules as they come and as you see run eight uh had uh, 11 actually it turns out by now um uh spherules which um, is the most uh, prolific among all runs and it went just on the likely meteor path. So in a way, you know, that basically suggests the government is right. The government has good sensors. They gave us the correct location. And this was a meteor uh, of the type that they described. Uh, and it's made mostly of iron, unlike the characteristics described in the paper that was just published last week. Uh, in the Astrophysical Journal by those astronomers who claim the government is wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I have trust that the government does its best, and especially when they go over the data multiple times and issue a formal letter, you should pay attention to that and not dismiss it. And we're essentially looking at a classic whiteboard with dry erase tally marks of 
the spherules as they collect them, which CJ and I have both been in education. It just totally reminded me of, <laughs> of using the dry erase markers for various things in education. So I thought, wow, you know, even even on a search for extraterrestrial evidence here, we see kind yeah. of the same stuff in use. That that was the, my my idea to tally all of these and the distant runs had at most one or so spherules. And here you see again the vacuum cleaner on the left uh, being used. Uh, we had T-shirts. You can see the person on the left uh, wearing them, uh, Ryan Weed, who has a laboratory at UC Berkeley. And um, the T-shirt on the back says Interstellar Expedition Team. And uh, all of us got uh, those T-shirts. And um, you can see a group uh, photo here with these uh, shirts. And in the front, it's the Galileo Project. In the back, what I just mentioned. Uh, and we had the... A lot of people, including uh, representatives from Papua New Guinea, we, we have a collaboration, an ongoing collaboration with the University of Technology in Papua New Guinea. A department chair uh, uh, from there is coming to visit me and participate in the analysis uh, in the coming weeks. So uh, we are very pleased to have a, a professional from Papua New Guinea as part of the project. He will be on our paper and we established uh, an agreement with the University uh, of Technology in Papua New Guinea uh, in terms of the analysis and, and research that we are doing. Which is great, and I don't think we'll have time to get into that, but I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm so happy to know it all worked out because it was in the news about some conflict with certain representatives from Papua. Well, we, we worked with officials for more than eight months. Uh, of course, there were people that were out of the loop that were not aware of these relationships, but the relationship with the University of Technology in Papua New Guinea was established uh, a few months ago. So um, this has been ongoing for eight months and we have been in contact with authorities and they knew about this expedition. It's just that some other people were not aware of, of these contacts. Right. And, and it's just great that you, you know, you kept moving forward and got to do the science. And here's Dr. Loeb on the deck again with, with some of the other folks here and they're matching t-shirts, which is great. Oh, and you mentioned the spherules and the tweezers. So this is a great picture. We're looking at a close up of a really shiny metallic looking spherule being held by tweezers. Right. And the key test of whether it's biological or not would be to press uh, the hands of the tweezers uh, and biological spheres would crash under the pressure. And of course, the, a better test is to check the composition. Um, so just to give you an example for how science goes, one, uh, in one of the runs, the early runs, the sled came back with white paint all over it, uh, sort of like a Jackson Pollock uh, painting. It occurred to me that the most likely explanation is that there was a sailor on some boat uh, some time ago that, uh, you know, threw a bucket of uh, paint oh. at the, to the ocean floor, white paint, and and we just bumped into it with this uh, with a sled. Uh, I'm naughty of that sailor. <laughs> so I took my finger and and you know took some um, swiped the the paint and put it in a vial and we analyzed the composition. And then we realize, oh, it's actually biological based on the composition. It's not the uh, human-made paint. Um, and we checked online, and indeed there, there is this gooey material that uh, sits uh, on the ocean floor that you can run into that would paint your sled white if you do that. So here's an example of how science works. You see something really surprising. 
uh, you're thinking about the most likely possibility, turns out to be wrong, you figure it out with more evidence, and you move on. That's the way science is done. And why, you know, there shouldn't be any bad feelings about it. it it's nothing about me, it's nothing about us, uh, thinking about the wrong hypothesis, because uh, at the end of the day, we learn something new. You know, that's the way kids behave. They learn about the world by trial and error, by experiencing things. It's The problem is uh, adults that are not willing to collect data, that have opinions on everything, and that ridicule the search for evidence on social media. That's that's really the problem. It's definitely how kids behave. And let me tell you, my shop vac is out all the time as well. I just don't think I'm finding anything nearly as exciting as you have on your expedition. Well, if it was, if it was a really a, a Jackson Pollock painting, I, I would hang it in my living room. <laughs> you, you've got some pretty great stuff hanging there right now. So, And here we see you know, somebody about to set out on a smaller craft. And here's a close-up of one of these ferals in Dr. Loeb. I have to say, I read a lot about some of your colleagues that do believe a lot of this could potentially be pollution. But when I look at these things, like, I don't see pollution. That's not what my brain says. It literally seems like I'm looking at something alien that I don't have an explanation for. Yeah, I mean, when you think about pollution, uh, it will not target specifically the meteor path. Okay, the meteor path was uh, uh, loca localized using the seismometer data to within a kilometer across a line of 10 kilometers length. And when we went away to distances of several tens of kilometers away from that path, we didn't find spheros. We didn't see them. Okay, so you have to explain if it's pollution, why would anyone go exactly to the meteor path that we localized a couple of months before the expedition, that was the time that we localized it, someone would go there and plant sub-millimeter spherules that were molten and have some evidence of, you know, being on the floor for a long time. Why would anyone go there and put them there? And it's two kilometers deep. So unless one of these people did it themselves, I mean, also they would never be able to get it to the right place uh, because of ocean currents. And so, um, you know, my point is, let's just look at the evidence of the data rather than always try to debunk or uh, have a negative assessment of whatever is being done. And these people that talk about it, they haven't seen the material. They haven't, they don't know the, of the data that we have because we are in the process of writing the paper. So when my paper comes out, they can do whatever they want uh, in terms of interpreting it. But doing it prematurely just shows you that they have uh, an ulterior motive. Because if they were open-minded, they would not express an opinion until they have access to the data through the scientific paper that we are about to write. And when that paper does come out, Dr. Loeb, where is the best place for people to find it? Oh, uh, usually papers are posted on the archive. Uh, um, it's, it's called... Um, uh, well, it's labeled A-R-X-I-V, and it has uh, different subjects in it, uh, one of which is astrophysics. So that's where we put the preprints usually for public uh, consumption. But also at the same time that we will post it there, I will talk about it on medium.com. So if you want to get the information in a more digestible way, I will uh, have it there. <laughs> Perfect. That's where I'll go. 
So what you see here is the, yeah, that's the filming crew, what you saw. And these are the, uh, well, this, yeah. So these are the vials with the, um, the, the spherules. And, you know, you can think of the spherules as babies that we delivered in this expedition. And uh, just like looking at the delivery room where you see the babies uh, sleeping in their beds, here you see those uh, spherules uh, in the vials that service their beds within the delivery room, which is basically a plastic, uh, uh, you know, container that keeps all these vials. Uh, and there is a process that we went through. Here, what you see is the <laughs> filming crew with the director on the right, the cameraman uh, in the center and the sound man on the left. They were basically filming me jogging in, in the morning. <laughs> they used also a drone to film it from a distance. And they kept asking me to keep running uh, you know three times longer than i usually do so for an hour, <laughs> an hour and a half with my legs up because they're you know they want better shots and uh i was completely exhausted after that and <laughs> because it was of the order of 10 miles basically the amount of uh, distance if i were to ride on wow. run on uh, dry land so uh but that was like uh 5 a.m uh my sleeping habits on the, the ship were very uh, sporadic. So I would sleep um, in a few hour uh, segments because we had to come out every time the sled would be brought to the deck. And I was always out trying to scrape uh, the magnets and bring the materials and make sure that everything is attended to. Um, so I would sleep in the conference room uh, on the sofa for a few hours at a time. And also write the essays that took a lot, a lot of time and, mm -hmm. and a lot of effort. And, and, but altogether, it was an exhausting but very pleasing experience. <laughs> the most exciting uh, few weeks of my my scientific career. And you know, the dust did not settle as of yet. I, you know, once I came back, there were back-to-back -back interviews that I had. Uh, I was invited to, and you know, twelve in a typical day. Today I have eight. Um, and, uh, and, and the amount of items on the internet about my work grew by a factor of 10. Um, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. So it basically exploded. I'm just trying to keep my message out that science can be exciting and that we are following the evidence, but it's not easy because a lot of people try to twist it one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that looking at this documentary crew filming you running, Dr. Loeb, you know, CJ and I are both in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, home of the University of North Carolina, former home of Michael Jordan. And my son is fascinated by Air Jordans. And I can't help but think that he may have himself a pair of Air Lobes. So, <laughs> so, and you did not, by the way, go unscathed on this expedition. I did read where you did have a ball on one of your runs. Oh, yeah. I uh, was running up the stairs one day and um, bumped into the stairs. So I had the bruise. Uh, but, um, you know, I mentioned to at uh, an event in Zurich um, to the CEO of a sports company that I jog every morning and he sent me a pair of shoes. It's one of the best in the world, actually, the, a pair of shoes of uh, $200 um, for me to use. Um, uh, of course, there are better shoes, I'm sure. Mar Michael Jordan probably has better shoes. <laughs> it's not so much about the shoes. Uh, you know, I really like lightweight uh, sports shoes and um but um 
I keep a very simple lifestyle because, you know, I don't really care how much money I make at this point, if it's beyond a certain level that allows me to support my family. Everything goes to my daughters. I, I eat the same amount of chocolates. I jog every morning and I really pay attention to substance and not uh, uh, how many likes I get. So that keeps me alive. That keeps me also focused on the important things. Hey, chocolate is plant-based. The chocolate is mostly dark with very little sugar. Yes, <laughs> I, I get about 900 calories out of that every day. Wow. Oh, 900 calories out of chocolate. Hello. Yeah, half of my diet is chocolate. Oh, um, man, mine too, yeah. but not for good reasons. <laughs> what you see here is the sunset after we had a champagne toast. And the person next to me is Art Wright. And the, his name is... Uh, significant in two ways first he knows the art of navigating he was the chief the party chief on this expedition so he really knows the art of doing it that's why the first name art makes a lot of sense and the second name uh, right also makes a lot of sense he was always right and he's always successful in all of his expeditions in the past he was the commander of a destroyer during the vietnam war so he's like in his uh, middle 80s uh much older than i am and here we're looking at the sunset from the deck after we realized that it was a successful mission and we were talking about the next expedition and what to do in it and you know i really enjoyed his company because he was very wise and sincere at one point he came i was typing an essay and he came uh, behind me and looked over my shoulder and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I just want to make sure that you are the actual writer because I see all your essays and my family keeps telling me that they are reading the essays and I wanted to make sure that there is no ghost writer, that mm -hmm. nobody else writes it for you. And I said, what do you mean? I'm just a very simple person. You know, what you see is what you get. And he said, one thing I know for sure, you are not a simple person. <laughs> well, you are a very talented writer. I mean, you are able to blend science and poetry very well. Um, philosophy you. as well. It looks like you two are looking out to the future, which is amazing. And we are so excited to learn what you have to share with us in the future. Dr. Loeb, this photo, and it's one of my favorites, and it's our last photo on the, the slideshow. It reminded me of one of my favorite movies, Jaws. Have you ever seen Jaws? Oh, actually, um, the filming crew uh, filmed me in uh, Martha's Vineyard, where Joe's were, uh, was filmed, and there is a famous bridge there, and they wanted me to jog over that bridge. And once again, they kept me running for two hours, uh, <laughs> and they filmed me running there, and they also filmed um, uh, this, this scene that you're seeing. This photo was taken by the director of that uh, documentary. And yes, so it's not by chance. Uh, the other thing they did was uh, realize uh, that some people may be inspired by uh, Indiana Jones because I'm a scientist seeking uh, some treasures, okay? And so they uh, filmed my last class at uh, Harvard. And in that class, I asked the students, if we find a technological gadget and it has buttons on it, should we press a button? And uh, half of the class said no way it would be very dangerous uh another half said uh, of course we want you to press a button because it would be very exciting and then uh, one student asked me what would i do and i said i will first examine the object in a laboratory before engaging with it 
and then pay somebody else to press the button. That's what I do. <laughs> you want, uh, I'm happy to give you that authority, but you will take all responsibility. You know, one of my favorite scenes from Jaws, and, and Jaws to me is not really a movie about the shark. It's a movie about a small group of people that set out on their adventure. That's what the movie's about. One of my favorite scenes, they're just sitting around, they're comparing, you know, scar stories, stories about how they got different scars on their body and they break into song and such. Did you have any such, you know, moments like that on this expedition that just kind of had nothing to do with the search? Oh, no, because uh, this is my first time on a boat, on a ship. So I have no, I'm sort of a virgin in that experience. Of course, the other people have a lot of stories and they told me about it, but I could not share any of mine. Um, I do have other stories. You know, I parachuted when I was uh, 18 years old uh, as part of my military service and I drove tanks. I, I did a lot of things that... Uh, are far out there, you know. I, I when I trained with paratroopers, I slept seven hours a week. Uh, so there is a long uh, uh, life that I lived, but um, it never included anything on the ocean. And this was my first. And uh, I would say it's very thrilling. And you know, now we know that we can learn about what lies outside the solar system, not just by looking through telescopes, but by using microscopes. It's a completely new way to think about it. And the other thing is we might get information about what is in interstellar space from the bottom of the ocean before we get it from Washington, D.C., from the U.S. government. I have no doubt about that. I feel like with all that you have done and all that you have left to do, we will have many, many more books and stories and documentaries about Dr. Avi Loeb. Once again, for those of you that are interested in pre-ordering Dr. Loeb's upcoming book, Interstellar, which comes out in August, you can use our free trial at audibletrial.com backslash UFO, where you can check out Extraterrestrial, which is already out with thousands of other titles, of course. And we'll look forward to the next one because I know that Interstellar is not the last book that you will be publishing. I'm certain there will be many more stories to come. And we're so thankful that you have come here to share with us your adventures and your discoveries. And we can't wait to find out what's next. It was a real pleasure. And thanks for hosting me. And I, I, I look forward to bringing more information to light. Wonderful. We hope you'll come and share that information with us on our show again. Thanks. All right, Tim. Any, any last minute topics, last minute things? Maybe we could just close with this, Dr. Loeb. There's a lot of stuff in the UFO world in the news lately, a, a lot, from whistleblowers like David Grush to politicians that are about to hold new um, UFO hearings. Marco Rubio, Timber Set, among others, have said some really jaw-dropping statements regarding UFOs and UAPs. To close us out, what I would love to know from you is how does this search for extraterrestrial technology that you have just embarked on, how does that fit into this really complicated picture that we have being played out in the media right now regarding UFOs and UAPs? Yeah, it could be connected if indeed the government has data or information or materials. That, as David Grosh was 
reporting about, uh, then of course we would like to know about them. I haven't seen those materials. David Grosh did not see them. He just heard people talk about them and saw documents that uh, discussed them. And actually, as of last night, there was uh, a report about uh, Chuck Schumer coming up with uh, uh, a legislation that uh, would uh, establish uh, a group of people that would ask government to reveal the information it has on UAP or UFOs. Uh, you can check it out uh, in the news. It just came out last night. And uh, of course, if the government comes forward with uh, information that was previously withheld uh, under the veil of national security that uh, we didn't see before. And they say, actually, over the past few decades, we collected materials, we collected evidence that indicates uh, something from outside of this earth. That would be remarkable. And for me, it would be a validation that what I'm talking about is not uh, imaginative. This is not um, imaginary uh, or uh, uh, speculative. Uh, and um, irrespective of what the government does, I'm pursuing it as a scientist because such knowledge about interstellar space has nothing to do with national security. Um, because uh, anything coming from far away does not adhere to national borders. Okay, so we should uh, share that information with all humans. And that's my hope by pursuing my scientific research. Right. And... You know, you're definitely not doing this work in a vacuum. I, I feel like there's so much going on. We can't help but feel like it's building towards something. I don't know what that right. is, but it's building towards something. And, and this none of it is in a vacuum. I'm a little, we're a little, you know, we're a little skeptical of the Chuck Schumer situation because there's been a lot of reports of private companies conducting reverse engineering right. research. And of course, those private companies would not be prone to release anything. What was mentioned in the report is that now um, with this legislation, the, the government will ask those companies for the materials back. That That's what was mentioned. Uh, I should say also that I'm leading the Galileo project, which is broader than just this expedition. And we built already a, a functioning observatory at Harvard University. Uh, that is collecting data 24 7 uh, from one location but we have plans for five copies of it that we will place in various locations and I, I hope that in the coming year or two we will bring clarity to this subject but also perhaps this work the scientific work will motivate the government to come back to, to come out with uh, uh, the information that they have uh, because they collected it over many more years and uh, while they were serving the sky uh, out of um, national security uh, in in incentives, they saw things that they didn't expect. And uh, it would be really remarkable if we, they were to share it with us. And of course, I cannot comment on anything that I haven't seen. So I'm waiting for that to happen. But at the same time, pursuing the same goal of uh, letting the public be aware of what is out there using the scientific method. Right. And there is one other thing I would like to have your thought on regarding David Rush, the recent UFO whistleblower. And this is a direct extension of your work. If you are uncovering technology from a cosmic civilization, well, David Grush, he refused to use the terms alien or extraterrestrial. He would only use the terms such as non-human 
intelligence because along with following the science, he said, well, we just don't have the evidence that such entities came from another area in space or the universe or the cosmos. They yeah. could perhaps have come from another dimension here above us or beneath us, however you want to look at it, or beneath our own oceans, for example. Well, um, you know, he speaks out of ignorance because he's not familiar with physics the way we know it, but we don't have any evidence for additional dimensions of space, for example. But the other thing is, in the case of the meteor, we saw it coming, okay? So we know that it came from outside the solar system based, based on its speed, using the laws of physics. So. Um, it's true that if you just find some uh, materials on the ground, you don't know where they came from. That's true. But what I'm saying is there is also an opportunity to look at interstellar objects, either colliding with Earth or passing near Earth. And for every meteor that strikes the Earth, like uh, this IM-1, the, the first interstellar meteor, there are a million of them right now within the orbit of the Earth around the Sun. A million objects just like this meteor they just don't collide with earth because earth has a very small cross-sectional area so you can imagine a program where we would survey the region around the sun and look for such objects and check whether any of them is technological and that's a much better approach to figure out that it came from somewhere else well we're certainly glad that you're taking the opportunities to to find out more and to dig deeper so thank you for all that you do and Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our listeners who have tuned in. We hope that you will continue to follow us at All Things Unexplained and go ahead and head on over to Avi Loeb's website, which is avi-loeb.medium.com to follow along with all of his research. We hope everybody stays happy, stays strange, and listens to All Things Unexplained. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Loeb. Thanks for having me. That's right. Good night, everybody. Or good day. Good night. Wow. It could be nighttime. <laughs> See you, everybody. It's a short day for you. Turn it in already. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. You can support the show by visiting our Linktree account, at linktree.com backslash A-T-U podcast. If you can't get enough of us, please check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he has a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained. Okay, let's go. We've teamed up with Audible to bring you a very special deal. You can pre-order Interstellar by Avi Loeb for free. Just visit audibletrial.com backslash UFO. You can also get any book you like on Audible for free. Just visit audibletrial.com backslash UFO.